Welcome back to Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion and technology with the personalities that shape it. My guest this week is author and editor Michael Haney. Michael is the executive director of editorial at Esquire, but before that, he served at GQ for over 15 years. Michael and I spoke about his early life working under Graydon Carter, the importance of hard work, and how we all long to be known and share our stories. This episode goes deep. Let's do it. Michael Haney, you are on Blamo. Thank you for coming on. Happy to be on Blamo. So, real quick, do you listen to podcasts? I'm very curious about the people that are, are listening to the podcast or that even like dip their foot in it. If I say I don't, will you stop the recording? No, no, okay. no. But I am curious about if people listen to podcasts. We'll get in a bunch of stuff, but I, I, there's so many things I wish I could participate in, and I, I just, it's this. There's so much culture out there, right? I mean, it's like, right? I haven't watched a minute of Game of Thrones, to put it that way, right? Okay. <laughs> and yet, I work in a profession where I'm supposed to know all about everything that's out there. It's it's sort of like my father-in-law, I don't watch much sports on TV, right? But my father-in-law loves to talk about sports. Sure. And so, my so wife... you kind of just pay attention to what's no, my, out there. My wife hears me on the phone with them, and I can talk about sports with them all day, and she says, I never see you watching any games. How do you know all this stuff? Because <laughs> I just read the newspaper, right? So it's like, it's it's the thing that journalists are going to do is like, I read other coverage of it, therefore I can talk, I can, that does not stop me from having an opinion about it. Right. Well, that's, a, damn, that's a good answer. Serial is amazing. Have you watched it? <laughs> or, <laughs> or listened, listened to, to it? it? <laughs> yeah. Serial uh, is good. I, okay. I was on, I don't know. S-Town, man. Yeah, there you go. There's that the new one. so hot. <laughs> Um, so one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is not only did a lot of, uh, my friends be like, oh, you should talk to Michael Haney. But as I started to research you more and more, because you're kind of this, uh, in the best way, you're kind of this like white whale in the fact that, um, you're somewhat elusive and, but very, very sharp. And then also every single person like speaks of you relatively the same by saying like, oh, like. Oh, Michael Haney, like he's, he's the true journalist. Like he, he's the real one. Like he's, yeah. this guy's the real McCoy. And so I was like, okay, this is interesting. And I went down this Wikipedia Google rabbit hole, uh, which was a little bit difficult because there's not a ton of stuff on you, but the stuff that's on you is freaking gold. It's like <laughs> the stuff that I hope, because there's a bunch of junk on me. As, I've, I'm, as a, I'm a millennial, there's a bunch of stuff that if you search my name on the internet, it's embarrassing stuff. But you, it's like quotes where like Graydon Carter is telling you that you're awesome and, you know, you're, you're working for Spy Magazine. And so before we even get into it, kudos for having the best digital presence. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. You know, when I, when I was born, there was no such thing as a digital, digital presence. So it's... it's uh... Thank you, Mr. Millennial. Thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for giving me, as a kid, say props for my yeah. digital presence. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but I kind of want to start back at the beginning. So mm-hmm. I know that you are the menswear journalist, but also the journalist, the author, the novelist. Um, Memoirist. Well, the, but I know that you said you were working on a novel. Oh, working on it. Yes. yes right. Yeah. And a painter? Yes. Which I looked at some of your stuff. I didn't even realize I went to that art show without knowing who you were at the, at the at, Tom Brown show. At the Tom Brown show? How'd yeah. you end up there? Um, so I'm 
I used to do stuff with Tom when it was Tom and Tom, and then I know some of the guys uh, huh. back at corporate. Yeah. I'm actually going to dinner with Tom tonight after I see you. Oh, so, yeah? Four yeah. seasons? No, uh, we're going, having drinks at his apartment and then probably dinner at the neighborhood somewhere. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of want to go back to the beginning. How the heck did you get to New York? I came to New York I, uh, for a internship. Right. Uh, it was a, it was a six month internship at spy magazine, uh, for you listeners who don't know spy, it was, uh, probably the most influential and important magazine of the last quarter of the 21st, 20th century. And I, I, I'd say that not because of, I was there, but started by Graydon Carter, who's now the editor of Vanity Fair and Kurt Anderson, who novelist, NPR, uh, 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 radio host. And I think, you know, the, the sort of influence it had on the culture, everyone from Letterman to, you know, SNL to everything you see now came out of spy. And it was, um, the satirical monthly. I applied for an internship there and, um, I, I had to actually interview for the internship. I got it. And it was, I'll never forget my interview with Graydon Carter because it was this crazy interview where, and, and, and it's actually how I've learned to interview people. And now I've been told that I make people cry during interviews and it's never been my intention. But, <laughs> uh, he, he would jump around. He would say, you know, tell me what you've been working on. And then all of a sudden he'd say like, um, who's Fred Funstone's boss? I say, oh, Mr. Slade. Like, okay. And then he's like, da, 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 da. and I learned that from him later that that was all about, you know, you need to find someone who can have a conversation about things. It's not just what you've done, but testing your mind. Right. Anyway, I took this internship there. It was, it, it was a six, it, I really came to New York. I was going to come for six, do this six month internship and then go, you know, sort of see what they could teach me here in New York. And then I was going to go back to Chicago. And, which is where you're from. Which is where I'm from. Right. And so it was a six-month internship, and it paid $50 a week. And, nice. So you're uh, raking it in. It's raking it in. <laughs> and then and I, I've, 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 some people may have heard of the story, but I was about six weeks into the internship, and uh, there was this legendary uh, Christmas party at Spy, and it's written about in the, in the book about Spy. And the sort of, the editors, the the senior editors had all gone out for um, their Christmas lunch and they came back to the office around three o'clock and they were half in the bag anyway. The real Christmas party wasn't supposed to start until eight o'clock. Graydon called me aside, Michael, come here. I said, yes. Do you like working here? I said, yeah, I love it. And I started walking. No, no, like, come here. I said, I've been watching you. I said, thanks. And, he, and I <laughs> didn't think he knew my name. And he said, I think you've got talent. I said, well, that's all. I started walking away again. He said, no, I, I think you're gonna, you, you've you got what it takes. You're going to be a star. And I said, thank you. He said, effective immediately, I'm going to make you a staff, re, a staff reporter and writer. And I said, really? He said, yeah. And he sort of like, you know, clanged his glass in the middle of the office and he made this announcement. And uh, I, it was like one of those sort of wonderful New York moments. And this was at five o'clock. Then I didn't, the, 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 the party was not going to start at eight o'clock. So I had three hours, and uh, my uh, two other guys who were assistants there, uh, David Camp, who's now a writer for 
Vanity Fair and John Brody, who both my both good friends, they said, let's go out to drinks. We went to McSorley's. Uh, nice. Get the lights in the darks. Uh, no, well, it wasn't at McSorley's. I'm sorry. It was at the old Cedar Tavern. Oh, okay. Uh, and then we had drinks. Anyway, this party went until two in the morning. It went, And sort of the capstone of it was at one point was Graydon was the secret Santa. Or we all had secret Santas and Graydon showed up as Santa Claus. And you had to sit on Santa's lap to get your secret Santa gift. And okay, I only remember Graydon uttered one of the great lines. was like, where's Santa's drink? And anyway, I landed at two in the morning. Everyone was drunk. I woke up the next day convinced that no one, Graydon was not going to remember that he, he gave me a job. Yeah. Well, because was he perhaps a little inebriated Everyone at the time? was bombed. Yeah. Okay. And I went to work on Monday thinking like, well, that was a nice... You know, that was kind of a cool thing, but he, you know, and this was again, so long ago for you millennial listeners that, uh, the, 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 that morning at like nine thirty, the mimeographed, uh, memo went around to everyone's desk, you know, that, um, I had been hired as, uh, uh, staff, staff writer, uh, staff reporter and writer. And, um, so that's, and, and I was then. Hired at the godly, uh, the ungodly sum of ten thousand dollars a year, um, but it was the greatest sort of, you know, finishing school and, um, uh, you know, unbelievable. The, the people I was exposed to from Graydon, Susan Morrison, who's now deputy of the New Yorker, and Walter Kern, and Augustine David, and Amy Bell, and Brody, and and uh, uh, um, you know, Ted Heller, my friend, the the. The level of talent and, and on staff and the writers and what I learned was was um, it was it was it was fantastic. That so to me, like that's like someone just comes in and hands you the keys of the city for the publishing world, and you know, and also what's great, but what also is a little bit of a bummer is that doesn't happen anymore. Um, in in terms of you, you go to school. You go to a great school. You went to Northwestern, I believe, correct? For grad school, right. For, oh, right. for grad school, for journalism. Right. I went to Notre Dame undergrad. Which is, again, a great school. And then you, you go into um, the best magazine at the, mm-hmm. at the time, like the most well-respected magazine. Then the boss of that magazine says, hey, you're a good guy. Here's a job. I don't know if that happens that much anymore. Well, I think it, you know, I'm not, 25 anymore but, um <laughs> well you know and, and to be clear it was it was kurt and Graydon sort of giving me other things so i want to give them they both sort of made that decision and you right. know and, and kurt and Graydon were the best mentors one could ever hope for and and many people there and susan but i think i i mean look i i think what's sort of broken down is you know, and I just was having, I had coffee this morning with, with one of our current interns. And I, I said, listen, I have, in, I have coffee with all the interns uh, because I always want them to know that internships lead somewhere. And uh-huh. I wouldn't be sitting on this side of the desk if I hadn't been where you are. And I think that a lot of interns, my impression of them is, you know, that the mentorship and the apprenticeship and, and sort of that people want to pay their dues. And, yeah. and I said, like, you know, whether it's the the magazine business or the movie business or the music business, um, there are fields that are designed to always ask you how badly do you want it, mm-hmm. and they're designed to designed to weed you out because that's why the pay is low, the hours are long, and all that stuff. It's like, listen, if you want to be a lawyer, 
they pay a lot of money to be a lawyer because no one wants to be a lawyer. <laughs> right? This is true. <laughs> and so, but if you if you come in, and I think a lot of what I've seen and oftentimes happens with interns is they just don't want to put in the, the effort to it. Yeah. They I like, think that's that's also a bit of a generational thing in terms of a lot of people, they want, they see your story, they're mm-hmm. very inspired, they're very excited, and they basically, one, either that's going to happen to me exactly, mm-hmm. um, or um, all I need to do is is just meet this person and I'm there. I think one of the things that you didn't mention at all, uh, which is fine, is that you were also working there. Like I, I imagine, based on everything else I've heard about your work ethic, uh, you were working tirelessly and earned that job. It wasn't like, hey, this guy looks cool, let's give him a job. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, kind of think that these days. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't <laughs> talk about other people. I can always talk about... I, it's I mean, okay. <laughs> the advice I, I, I gave this young guy today was, you know, and it's, again, what Kurt and Graydon, like, they, like, I don't care how smart you are, is like, be the first one in, the last one out. I mean, I learned, so like, I'd be sitting there at 8.30 in the morning, probably, and like, turning on the lights and because why because i was eager and i wanted to prove myself and i i look i'm it's part of how i was raised like i was you know i need i I really i got there and realized i'm not as smart as these people but my work ethic and my determination and my enthusiasm and i will do anything to 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 show that i want to be here and you know, I, I, that, that counts for everything in life, no matter if you're 25 or 45, is your enthusiasm for the job and your commitment right. to it. And I think a lot of people are like, well, you put in the like, but you have, I, I, I know that I was like, I knew I was not as smart as a guy. And I'm not, I mean, this is not, as the kids say, a humble brag. I just knew it. I, I got there and I saw like, holy shit, these are people who've worked, who've edited the, the Harvard Lampoon, who've, who've edited, you know, the Harvard newspaper, they've, they're, they, they're, they're going to go on to executive produce for David Letterman and create, my friend Paul Sims is like, you know, creates, you know, the Gary Shandling show and news radio. And now he's creating, I mean, super smart people. Like, and I got to realize I don't know anything. Right. But if I keep my eyes open and my mouth shut and work hard and, you know, like you want me to reorganize the library, I'll do that because I'll probably learn something. And, it's it's what I sort of always tell like everything is preparation for being a reporter. It's always like your follow through, your commitment. Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed that I still have said to people in an office, "Have you chased down that thing yet?" Well, I wrote them an email, but they haven't gotten back to me. Well, have you called them? No. Have you better yet? Have you walked down and maybe like <laughs> knocked down their office door? Like it's it's all that like you 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 don't you don't get stories and experience if you don't sort of get out from behind your desk. Right. That's well, that's so, very profound. Yes. Well, I don't know if it's profound. It's it is sort of, because I think like you know like I was saying earlier, I think there is this. I'm not implying that people are lazy or anything, but I, I just coming from. You know, I worked in the music industry, I've worked mm-hmm. in the clothing industry, and I have seen a lot of, well, I deserve to be here because I look cool, or I deserve to be here because, but then there's also this other side where it's, you don't even know this person, and they're like, I'm smarter than you, and there's this like really strong arrogance, and, and that, that like, <laughs> that kind of throws you off. I mean, I've, I've sat and I had an intern at this previous job that I had that he was such a turd. 
I love the guy, but I had to tell him, I was like, you can't, you can't talk to people this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I digress. One of the, uh, you mentioned your family mm-hmm. and you mentioned being a reporter. And mm-hmm. I think that's from other stuff that I've read too. I mean, you would still call yourself a reporter, correct? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think that all good stories begin in reporting. And that's whether it's something that's a 300-word squib in a magazine um, or in my memoir or even a novel. I mean, I think it's about, and it's, it's, it's about listening to other people's stories. And that's not being a snoop. It just is being alive and, and gathering information and ideas and, and inspiration. Right. Um, what made you want to be a reporter? Cause I know that your father was and your uncle was, was it just kind of like in the blood? Was it my father and, 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 you know, and, and uncle were both newspaper editors and, and I don't know if it's the family business, but I always, from the time I was a kid, I loved to write and, you know, it just seemed like I I knew I could tell stories and yet, you know, it wasn't that easy. As I said, like to even to go back to spy, I got there and saw people who were much better writers than I were. And it was, you know, I learned, well, I, I got to really sort of figure out how they do this. Mm-hmm. And that was just about watching the reporting. I mean, Kurt and Graydon came out of time magazine and they're thinking that's all reporting is all fact-based. And it was, you got to have it down. and then turn that into a story but i just knew i loved to tell stories right um but then you you i know that you, from spy mm-hmm. you then went to gq no i had a couple stops in between there i um you know i think it's, it's an uh, just again because yeah i know you were at the chicago tribune too right but i mean like so you know when i was at spy this is all relevant and this is a long time ago, there was a um, a recession hit. It was 1991. The magazine had to lay off a bunch of people. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lost my job that paid $10,500 a year at that point. And I was uh, uh, living in a boarding house on the east side uh, and from in my little room. But I was like, how am I going to, well, how am I going to support myself? And uh, I I was trying to get writing jobs, but I sucked at that because I didn't like to call people. This was pre-email, believe it or not. So you had to actually call people or send them a letter and follow up. And I thought, well, if I can just ride this out. And I tell this story only is, again, when I talk about the business and it's always going to ask you, how badly do you want it? Um, and 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 I had all through high school and college had uh, sold fruits and vegetables at my local grocery store. I was a produce kid. And so I was walking by Dina DeLuca one afternoon and I went in there and I said to the guy, it's because I saw all the produce. I'm like, this is a really nice store. I'm going to sell produce. Dina DeLuca went back. I went to the guy and said, listen, do you need anyone? He's like, no. And then he held up, <laughs> he held up a mango. He said, you know, this is, it's a mango. He says, you know, like, so this is, that's a seedless cucumber. It's like, huh, what else do you know? And I said, listen, I've sold present. Okay, you can have a job. So I worked there from five in the morning until noon every day for probably nine months as a way to pay my bills. Right. right. And I say that as like, 
yet I knew like if I could just ride it out and I didn't have, you know, any, any other way to support myself, but it's, again, it's, you got to bring your enthusiasm or as the kids say now you're, I mean, I had to hustle and like, how badly do you want it? Right. You can move home or you can say like, all right, I'll get this job. And it was potentially embarrassing, maybe, but I also gathered some great stories there and great experience. And like, that's all part of the narrative, you know, and, and you can either be snobby about it or you can embrace it all and, and, and see like, this is all right. This is where I've got to figure out how to, how to get, how to keep doing this so I can stay in the game. So, I mean, you didn't necessarily have this, this climb up the ladder here. You, you, you were laid off, you go to a grocery store, you, you're at a boarding house. I mean, you weren't no. exactly in an ivory tower here, right? Well, I think it's more of, I, I say to, I hope inspire people. No, I, that's and, great. And, and that, yeah. you know, like I, the, there's plenty of people who, you know, you and like I had, I was living with an uncle in Connecticut and, and at the, at, when I came to spy, like, like you have to be, I say it, as I said, like to inspire people, like, it's going to ask you how badly do you want it? And you're going to have to be crafty about it. Like, okay, if I can stitch this together and this together, and then, you know, as I say, like, what are your North stars you're going to navigate by? What are, I, you know, I want to end up as a reporter and, and I'm not going to let go of that vision and I'm going to, but I'm going to have to do this and this to get there because it's, it's always going to try and weed you out, but you want to just stay in there and, and be part of it, whatever, whatever field you're in. You're speaking of a, a work ethic that isn't necessarily ingrained into a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Where do you think you got yours? My mother. I mean, I, you know, my father died when we were, when I was very young, we had really very little money. I mean, no money, you know, my, I, I started working when I was 14 just, and I was told like, if you want to go to college, you have to, pay for it and you know we we were on assistance at some point you know and and it was just about it was a very different way I, and, and so it was i learned very like you 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 can be smart you are i you know you have intelligence but you have to work hard nothing is given to you and i think you know it was just again growing up being raised by a single mother with very little money and then you know just that I think it was Midwestern, 1970s, sort of, you've got to work for everything. Yeah. And, and um, I, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm glad. I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's you should great, be. It, it's, I mean, I'm not proud of it. It's, it's, you used to think like, what the fuck? Why, you know, why is this so, but it's made me like to stay like work. You can always work your way out of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, I think that's very true. I mean, uh, when I was younger, we had butter and sugar sandwiches a lot. There you go. <laughs> we had, we had pancake for, for dinner or, you know, it was, but it was, yeah, I didn't realize it cause there was no food. Right. Like, oh, pancakes. Like, this is awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is fantastic. Pancakes. Why? Mm, there's no food. Right oh, cornbread yeah. again. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> um, I've, I want to skip ahead a little bit here. Uh, so you you eventually arrive at GQ where you were at for about twelve years. Uh, uh, I was started there seventeen. 18, seventeen years, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. Um, did you always 
feel that you would be a bit of a, a fashion journalist? Because I know that you weren't, you were on, uh, you were not on the, the fashion side, you were on the writing side, the publishing side. Um, but you also are, are showing up at front row shows for fashion events and things like mm-hmm. that. Like, did you see yourself at like start to go to this world? Like, was that something you wanted? This is, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because I was hired by Art Cooper to work at GQ to be an editor and, and to edit features and, and to make, help make the magazine. And, um, when Art, uh, uh, died and then Jim Nelson became the editor in chief, um, you know, and, and Jim, one of the things he asked me to do as, as deputy, his deputy editor was help figure out how to integrate you know, make, make a magazine that was where the style, the fashion component and the editorial feature component were integrated and, 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 and that there was not, uh, a, a sort of a bifurcation of these, these. And so I was, you know, you know, how to, how to, how do you make service journalism and how do you, um, you know, have features in the fashion features that have text on them so i spent a lot of time you know working with jim moore and and uh sort of and then when when we brought in adam rapaport and 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 you know we started the manual section it was about creating that and so i you know and and i guess it's it's a long way of saying like i didn't see i want to be a fashion i don't want i want to work in fact right. it was and i try to emphasize this to to people when they asked me like i i got to where i am because i knew how to edit a magazine right how to edit stories and how to assemble ideas and look at and look at you know looking at a fashion show and figuring out trends with jim moore and is bringing a critical eye to something like okay yes that's the trend, but here's the story, and here's how we put it together for a reader, so it makes sense. You have to be an editor to look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not as I I never have considered myself a fashion journalist. I consider myself a journalist who works at general interest magazines that have style as a piece of them and know how to take uh, style and 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 write about it and package it so that it makes sense to uh, a guy and you know to put it in perspective when when jim nelson and i were were relaunching and recreating gq and and he asked me to sort of he charged me with there was no such thing as menswear and men's blogs and all these things yeah. it was a very the landscape was and when we sort of came along and, and caught this moment and i think it's chicken egg like we there was also this you know, we, we started, right, there was a new generation of guy come along, coming along who was interested in style. And we started to, you know, to, to sort of realize we wanted to, to lead that. And so I think we sort of helped bring that evolution about. And, and, and it's, you know, we're going on 15, 20 years of that now. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that you guys were doing that other magazines, they had in the past, but I don't think it was like, I hate the word synergy, but it was done really well together. So you had, you know, you guys are interviewing rock stars and then also these same rock stars are posing in the clothes mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and 
then there's a good story about that. Right. Um, I mean, some of my some of my favorite stories from GQ were things that had nothing to do with clothing. <laughs> like one of them was, uh, so my father has had Parkinson's for mm-hmm. over two decades. And one of them was about this, uh, this young kid who had created this glove that would help stop tremors. And it was just this really beautiful piece of journalism um, that was in there. And I don't, you know, I think looking at it from a distance, uh, I wouldn't look at that and be like, oh, that would fit in GQ. But the way that GQ was packaged and how everything was put together, it felt great. And it also, it was, it was good, these like other rabbit holes for me to go down. Because uh, I was already in there to see like how to wear a tie better or something right, like that, right? right? But then I was opened up and inspired by all these other avenues to explore. And I think that I, maybe it's just like specialty magazines at the time hadn't done that for me. I mean, I was reading you know, National Geographic, right? right? So it's a little bit different, but it was really special and, and something that uh, changed, you know, how I, how I consumed media. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's so, it's, yeah, I, I, it's a long way of saying, you know, I work at Esquire now and, and, you know, it's, it's my job to know about style and, and to work with Nick and Matt Martin and, uh, Jay Fielden and and like how do we because style is one piece of of a guy's life and sure. and so for us it's you know it's funny looking at Esquire now it's and, and getting into the archives of it it's you know it's the original Men's General just magazine and it actually spawned GQ but like you look at how they were covering style in the sixties and seventies until that sort of then there seemed to be this dead period in the nineties. For men's fashion, but it was very vibrant and vital. And yeah, and, and is Richard Gere's fault? There you go. <laughs> there you go. So. <laughs> but I digress. So, um, and so while you were at GQ, um, mm-hmm. this is before you make it to Esquire. You had written this memoir, mm-hmm. um, and I remember I bought the book because I was like, "Oh, it's a dude from GQ. I bet it's all about clothes." <laughs> and I read it, and it blew my mind and it made me cry uh because real quick to summarize your book without without making without belittling it in any way uh it was basically rediscovering how your father uh passed away Mm -hmm. and and basically going on your own sort of investigative journalism rabbit hole to learn more about why he had passed away right and I think it, you spoke about something that was really interesting to me, and it's about just trying to connect with your family and mm-hmm. connect with your, your dad. And, you know, earlier you had said that you were, you were raised by your mother, but, um, but th- through this book, you really kind of got to see this other side of who your parents are. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things that has been happening to me as a younger adult. I mean, I'm in my early 30s now. But you see that parents aren't necessarily perfect. Mm-hmm. How? What was that like for you? Well, I mean, you know, I, I'll just give the spoiler here. That I mean, you know, the 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 the, the reveal of the book is is the people would say is my father died when I was just after I turned six, and 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 
we were always told uh, that he had died of a heart attack, and it just never added up to me. And I just couldn't figure out he was 34 at the time. And anyway, when when I, I just always felt something again, I don't, I, I can't explain it, but I just felt like the story didn't add up. So when I got to be uh, roughly the age he was when he died, which was 34, 35, and I was obsessed. I'd been thinking all my whole life I was never going to outlive him, and then I did, and I thought, I need to find this out. And I discovered, you know, after 10 years of reporting again and, and searching, that he there was a cover-up executed by my uncle. Uh, my father was having an affair, and he died in bed with this other woman. And she called my uncle, and they created this cover-up. Um, got the newspapers to sort of change the story. And, you know, when I learned that, I then spent uh, about a year and a half thinking, like, I can't write this, finish writing this book because I'm going to have to tell my mother what I've learned. And I, it caused me great distress. And um, my wife, not now wife, at the time we were not married, but Brooke, uh, who. Shout she, out, Guilt Group. Shout out Guilt Group, <laughs> Brooke Haney, uh, a.k.a. Brooke Cundiff. Um, she said, you know, and, and she was really my rock through all this. And she said, You're, you've got to talk to your mother. She probably knows. And when I did, she did give, help me find the courage to talk to my mother because it's, I really thought, you know, I could destroy my mother's world and who knows. But it, the long way of saying in the book, which is called After Visiting Friends, um, you know, it brought my mother and my brother and me closer together because it's about, look, all of us, you know, it's a very personal story, but the universal story in it is we all have these secrets. We all have the, as a family, all these questions. And it's about these things you're afraid to talk about and afraid to perhaps raise with a parent. Um, that is probably the thing they want to talk about. And, you know, when I gave the, the, the manuscript to my mother and she called me a couple of days later crying and she said, you know, she just finished it. And I said, why? Are you crying? She said, like, because it's the greatest gift you could have ever given me. But, and I said, but you do understand what I've just revealed. She said, yes, but it's answered questions for me that I've always had. And, you know, this was 40 years later and, you know, me thinking I'm going to destroy her world and actually it gave her answers that she'd been searching for and that she was always afraid to ask and go in search of uh, the answers to. So it's, it was a lesson for me in, I, I, to go back to your point about parents is, you know, like, I think we all have this thing, we get together and, and we talk about TV shows, we talk about other people, but you know, what I learned from my, this whole experience is there are these people in your lives called parents and they have these lives that existed before you and we are their physical and biological sequels but we're also their narrative sequels and they have these stories and these lives and don't wait until it's too late to find out about those narratives and I, the point i would say is early on i was asking my mother you know, what was it like when you first started dating dad? She's like, you know, where'd you go on your first date? 
And she said, well, we went to this place called the Bitten Bridle. And I said, oh, where was that? She's like, well, you don't really care, do you? I said, no, I do. And she's like, well, if you, hold on. And she got up and she walked off. We were in the kitchen table. And she, she came back five minutes later and she had this, all her sort of um, sort of date books dating back to 1950 when she was 18. Holy 16. moly. And so she had everything. Like, you know, here's, you know, and, and like for Bob called me. Bob came over, you know, we went to see um, this movie, you know, Ben-Hur, and we ate dinner here, and like, it was all there, right? And I thought, and then she walked me through, and she she brought this whole world to life about how they met and fell in love, and yet them as 22 and 25 and growing, and I, I, I guess I, if I leave listeners with nothing, it's like, don't... You don't want to be cleaning out the, the 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 office of your mother or father and find the diary and then think, huh? I wish I'd asked about this earlier, right? Yeah. Either it's it's start the conversation now, and I think we're all. If I've learned anything, again, is we're all just waiting for the other person to go first and say, "Hey, tell me about." your life yeah but we live now especially with all these distractions and it's like in the moment instagram it's like and that's fun and that's part of our life and it's not going to change but to really get to know someone and what i've learned to go back to what you call reporting i call creating a conversation with someone and really listening to them because we all i really believe what we all long for is to be known and 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 to have someone know our story, and if you can listen, maybe only once or a hundred times, and if it's your parents, like, what is that story? Because their story is who you are, and and mm-hmm. and we pay a lot of money to shrinks to tell our story, but we don't, <laughs> we also oftentimes don't even know like what to your point, what is who are they, and what is they, and what did they, what were the decisions they made, and 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 yeah, how did how did I end up here? Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you when you shared a lot of that. First off, thank you. But maybe it's like one of the reasons why I felt so candid with you when I walked in the room because I had read this book mm-hmm. and I, for, for me, I had this entire uh, perspective and vision of of who you were and and how you behaved and how you ate and you know what you wore and and basically that thing i'm getting at is like when you share a part of your life with someone there is this intimacy that's immediately created that's mm-hmm. it's you know it's like a a great way to accelerate friendships and relationships in general is just talking about things other than the weather right. <laughs> other than non sequiturs right i mean so i don't know it's just that that book uh and also from what i gathered from it too in terms of like having actual conversations with your parents instead of saying yes and no or wondering why they're nagging you and things like that. Uh, it really changed and influenced how I communicate with my elders and my family. That's amazing. I mean, that's, and that's, I, I hope that's, that, that's, I, I want, I, I want to inspire people to create those conversations. Yeah. And, um, 
because life's too short, you know? I mean, and, and I, I learned like, like this thing I was so afraid of doing, asking my mother these questions and probing and, and because uh, I grew up in this house of such silence after my father died. And I realized like, you know, she's like, I don't think you'd care. I don't think you wanted to, you know, it was like, we're all of course just, I can. <laughs> but you know what, what, what mother is going to say like, Hey Michael, let me tell you about the, like, I think, I mean, it's human nature, right? We all like, right. think the other person is not going to listen to our story, but you have to create that space where that between the, and say, listen, trust me, I want to listen. And you've got to really be present. And I feel like that's something that people need to focus on is being present, you know, and, and then helping to figure out what's the question about who am I? You know I mean? Yeah. God creates Adam. And the first question Adam asks is who am I? You know, it's, 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 and, and it's an inherent, the people who know who we are in some ways are our parents. They're not just not like, you were two you did this but they also like it's these we we know more about fictional characters than we do about these people who sit across from us at, at christmas dinner and like who are these fucking strangers <laughs> and yet have we ever tried to get to know them and then also make them get to know us it's, it's a fascinating but yeah you know i say don't wait till it's too late i when i was younger i loved the North Face. As I'm older, I still have the North Face. I promise this has a point. And I had... Do you mean the brand, the North Face? Yeah, the okay. brand, the North Face, the outdoor brand. This is a good segue. <laughs> and I I had this coat and I loved it. And I, I'm trying to remember, I, I think like because of how I grew up, if there was something that I wanted, I had to find a way to earn it. Mm-hmm. And I had got it and I gave it to my mom uh, one day. Uh, like I just didn't need it and I didn't wear it anymore. And it was too big for my mom, but my mom always wore it. And I would see her in pictures wearing this big ass North Face coat. And I was like, what the hell is she doing? What is she doing? And I would make fun of her for it, like it, like a stupid kid. And I would make fun of my mom. And I was like, mom, I was like, why are you wearing that dumb jacket, that oversized North Face? And then one day she was like, I wore it because you gave it to me. Mm. And I felt like the biggest <laughs> jerk in the whole world because... I was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And it's like, I had no idea that my parents or that family cares like that. And also that they, in in how they they communicate that. Like, she was telling all these people that she cared about me because she wore this ugly, bright, red, oversized North Face jacket. Right. Um, And that's just something that's really beautiful. It's beautiful, yeah. And... It's amazing when you encounter people who live life without irony or where they <laughs> actually, I mean, and, and I think that's, I, I'm not, not joking, but it's values and, 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 and sincerity. And I think that's something that I'm always trying to just remind people of is just like strip away all the baloney and it's, yeah, that's what's values and sincerity and integrity and work ethic. It's, it's strangely all those things our parents told us matter yeah and i think that's also and i'm trying my best here to segue this is stuff that you bring into the into esquire into the publication and magazine industry Mm -hmm. and writing industry is just this constant hard work ethic and that uh this humility of like basically nothing to lose or nothing to prove and nothing to lose and that you this constant tiring work work ethic i mean even when uh like I had asked a few people about you 
they were just like, oh man, he's like the real deal. This blue collar guy busts his ass and, you know, has a, has a respect for the craft of journalism. Um, one of the last things I wanted to, to touch on before we wrap up here, um, you have this, this style that has more or less from ever since I've known you, which I would say I've known of you for maybe 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more or less never really changed. And I think that's awesome because if you look at 12 years of fashion and clothing, it's pretty weird. There's, <laughs> there's uh, the suit moments to the, the Rick Owens and the athleisure and then this, this big confluence where everything is good and as long as you wear it with attitude and that you feel that you should wear it, then people are going to like it. Um, but you kind of have this uniform of like right now you're wearing a corduroy sport coat, which is badass. And, and you've always worn Oxford button down Oxford shirts mm-hmm. and, you know, and then usually some type of like raw denim or a suit. How did, did you like, was this a purpose thing or is this just like, Oh, I've always liked it and it's never gone out of style. Yeah. I, it, it's, it goes back to, I mean, a, a number of things here. One is, I marvel at people who can create styles for themselves, and 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 well, that's that's you. You realize that? No, but I I look at people who who I I you know for me, <clears throat> and again, I'm not. I've thought about this a little bit with people, and I'm, but I've never said it before. Is I mean, when I first got to New York, there was a guy I worked with at Spy. His name was Bob Mack, and he was this genius guy. And again, I'm just saying this, how I was raised and the circumstances I was raised in. And I was the first time I was exposed to people who had, you know, uh, that kind of, you know, New York, um, sensibility. And Bob once said to me like, well, this line that I, I, I'm not sure if he was quoting Tom Wolf or someone, but basically says like attitudes cost money. (laughs) <laughs> okay and, and by that i mean it's like you you know the people who can do that it's it's and the way i was raised like i for me like i with my i buy very few things the things i buy are things i love and it's again it was like when we were growing up it's like you got one pair of tough skin jeans for the fall and you got one pair of shoes and a coat and I, I'm saying that I'm not bright. It's more like, that's how I was raised. And like, so the acquisition of, of goods simply for style and to create, I don't have never, it just never has seemed interesting to me. Right. And yet I love fashion and I love seeing it because to me it's, it's, you know, it's a, you know, Tom Brown, one of my best friends, like to see the creativity of that is, is and, and whether it's him or sitting, you know, at a, any other show and see like, and the trends and like, it's watching what, what's happening at Gucci now. Amazing. Right. It's fantastic. But, you know, I, I can only be true to myself. And I'm like, if I'm not feeling, I'm like, Oh, like trends don't interest me that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, right, that's like, true. Oh, look, everyone's wearing uh, 
I need some black sneakers with white soles and I need some uh, black pants and like, like, and I need that Kanye thing that zip up. Like, I'm not like, that's, that's cool. But sure. I, I'd feel like a, you know, I feel like I just I can tell you're trying to edit yourself. No, I, 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 it's like, it just would feel totally inauthentic. And I think that yeah. the, the, you can only be authentic, right? To me, it's like authentic is who you are. And it's like, it's, and, and I look, I'd make, I make very subtle shifts in my style. Like, okay. Yes. Like they would do that. Okay. I mean, if I really wanted a diagram before I could show you where I've made subtle shifts, very imperceptible, but you know, like, okay, now I'll go this way a little bit. Um, cause you, you basically wear Tom Brown as your suit and sport coat, but that's not a Tom Brown sport coat that you're wearing right now. No, I, was, I mean, I, but it's, it's your look too. I don't think people have, Oh, you just wear Tom Brown. I mean, you have, I think it's kind of lined in a little bit cause he's also from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this sort of, uh, working man, 1960s ish sport coat suit a little bit high water but uh that's not how you dress but i mean you know what you're wearing alden chuckas right now i mean it's good it's it's very it's simple it's i think to to backpedal one second on myself right here (laughs) backpedal (laughs) i think it's style is more of just like this confidence and you it doesn't look like you're trying to communicate anything else to me by what you're wearing and that except that you're confident with who you are you know it's not like hey p.s look how much money i have or look that i have this this big name brand or i mean there are tons of brands that i can mention that people will wear solely for the fact because they want to communicate to everyone else that they're associated with them or that they're of this value and that's definitely not you yeah and that look that's a great game to play and, and, and i don't <laughs> yeah. mean that is like that's i just don't i don't want to i you know, there's people and and i don't mean game in, in an oily no no weird way it's like that's everyone has the games they want to play be involved in and, and like look one of my dear friends nick wooster like he is fantastic at that game yes he's he's a he, he's he's a ninja at it and like and that's why people you know he's he loves it and i'm like go i love to see what you do you know one of the things i believe is like you have two things that you can control in life and that's your time and your energy and they're both diminishing every day but like where do you want to spend them on and and so for me it's like if i I, this is where i feel comfortable area i want to work in and then you move from there but i think and and i just sort of believe a little bit of less is more and i'd rather go for about you know beautiful wonderful things like oh look at that i can get a shirt at charvet that's amazing that's that links me to something that's cool that's place you know Anne marie colban is going to make me a shirt and that's got lineage, that's badass that's got lineage and that's <laughs> a narrative and that's that's something and that's one of a kind and that's that's amazing yeah like, that's exciting to me versus but you know, I also understand some like limited edition Nike that turns on someone else, and th- that should, and that's what makes the world go round. Yeah, no, I I agree. Speaking of time, I want to be conscious of yours, and I think we're, we're almost wrapping up here. Um, was there is there any other stuff you want to add or mention? I just had a thought. You know, I, as you said, I was thinking 
I just thought of Glenn O'Brien and, and, you know, like the, it's, it's the, it's the, it's how Glenn taught me so much. And, and, you know, and, and you have to sort of keep, you know, the continuum of, 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 of what you can share with people. And, and it's, again, Glenn was an example of, you know, people like, oh, it must be so cool. Glenn didn't start out to be about a fashion guy. He's just like, he looked at his life. He was about creative work. And I think that's what's always inspired me. It's like, that's why I won't, you know, like it's, it's, if you define yourself solely by your clothes, you're missing the and your style, like it's a little empty. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you want to have some, something, you know, that's why I want to, you know, I, and, 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 and anyway, I'm, it's, I would love to come back and, 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 uh, you know, maybe at that point people will have read my book and we can take some, ask me anything kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. The AMA as the kids call it. Yeah. The AMA. Well, this was very beautiful and rich. I mean that. Thank you so much Thank for, you. Um, for coming um, it's, on. It's a real pleasure. And, and um, I will listen to podcasts now. <laughs> All right, cool. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. If you like what you heard, leave a review on iTunes. It helps let others know and discover the pod. Subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last but not least, you can find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at Blamo Podcast or send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.